0: My name is Bea Gonzalez, and I am a writer of mostly novels.
1: And I'm Jay Rettlesberger, a singer-songwriter.
0: We began a conversation on Twitter some time ago about Carl Jung art and the creative process, and we decided to share our discussion with all of you. So something keeps happening. And that is, as you know, I have a very active social media presence. I try to put as many quotes as possible out, especially on Twitter, but certainly also on Instagram lately. And every time I quote anything to do with two words, I'm guaranteed to get anger coming back. And the words are masculine and feminine. Now, sometimes the words can be men and women. For example, this week, I was looking at an early work by the Jungian um, analyst and incredible writer, one of my favorites, James Hollis, who wrote this early work called, um, uh, oh, what's that Saturn's Shadow? I, I'll, I'll post it afterwards, the link, but it really is about the wounding of men in particular. And he does a very, really honest look at what's going on. At no point does he shame men. That's the opposite of what he's trying to do. What he's trying to do is talk about how men are shamed and what you do about it. Now, what's interesting, I hadn't, I didn't remember until I reread parts of it today, was that uh, he was writing, this is early enough that he was looking at all the men's movements that had begun in the 90s. If you remember Robert mm-hmm. Bly, the drumming, all the things to try to reconnect men to themselves. And he tells of this encounter he has with one of these uh, these, these drummers and uh, one of the members of these groups, in fact, a leader. And what happened is he had gone to, uh, I think it was Santa Fe, to visit his son who was trying to make it as an artist there. And they bumped into one of these guys. And what he said was extraordinary is they had this interchange where very quickly, even though we are talking about a person who is involved or engaged with men's issues, it quickly became apparent to Hollis that there was a competition thing that began, you know? Uh, So what are you doing about this whole movement? And how often do you visit your son? And are you working too hard? And all these questions that Hollis felt immediately they had to put out, take out the sword and defend himself. And he commented on how extraordinary it was that here you have a movement that is trying to get men to really reconnect to their feminine, to the, the side of them that is connecting and that is more about relationship. And yet the whole fundamental issue of competition and shaming, and are you doing enough work, and crept into it. And so what he an- analyzes through this book or looks at is the many burdens that have been placed on men specifically by a culture well, since time immemorial, right? This doesn't come out of no- nowhere. It's It's been around since the beginning of time. And he tells this really touching story about how it manifested in his own family, how his father didn't get to have a life that he wanted because that's not what you did. He came out of the Great Depression. He was so concerned he was not not able to get an education. In fact, I think James Hollis says he was the first person to be able to get a formal education, to PhD level, no less. And how that unlived life of his father became not only a burden to the father, but how the son starts reacting. Because that that happens to all of us, right? We all have our parents' unlived lives are are like ghosts that that uh, sift behind us. But in this case, he's is talk, talking, speaking um, to what is expected of men, what is expected by the culture, what is expected by within, and how there is no permission to to go ahead. Now that's men, right? Now masculine and feminine are two completely different things. But the, I, I I quoted that uh, this great secret that men kept uh, about how they either run to women for consolation or they turn aggressive. These are the only two strategies that seem to come out. And I got a lot of pushback. Sort of, oh, you hate men, or, oh, now do women. That's an interesting one. Yeah, I can tell Mm -hmm. you women don't have any stress whatsoever from the culture. (laughs) um, But there's immediately, what is so interesting to me is how antagonistic, once you bring these two words, and and just maybe let's start there, right? With forget men and women, let's go to masculine and feminine. One One of the big problems with Jung, in my view, is language. And how language is now taken center stage anyway. And you know, you spend days and hours on people on the internet arguing about what a word means. So now let's take a supercharged word that keeps getting mistaken for gender. When I think, and maybe you can tell me differently, when I think of masculine and feminine, I am not thinking of men and women. These are two separate things. Right. These are two things that belong to all of us, whether you're a man or a woman or anything. Okay. So tell me how you see this.
1: Oh, i I see them as um, psychological realities. I see them as places of energy, different kinds of energy. And what I mean by that is things in our personality that we're supposed to be using um, throughout life. So there there's times where, Um, we need to utilize uh, our masculinity and there's times when we need to utilize our femininity. Um, And so I I look at them more as components to our personalities um, that we all have. And regardless of gender, and th- there's of course different qualities to them yeah. so uh, you know what you were saying uh, about the men's group thing what was happening there was a type of masculinity where you were you were looking at competition where you're looking at you know one upping the other um uh, you know, in a way, uh, trying to um, uh, kill the messenger. That would be a polarizing form of masculinity.
0: Is that masculinity, though? Well, I guess it's competition. So competition is part of what, which is can be a good thing, right? It, well, it's yes.
1: Yeah, well, that's why I called it polarized. Okay. Or... A type of masculinity that's not well integrated, uh, because what you said about Bly and his groups was he was trying to um, move the men toward developing more connection. More, but uh, I think that, uh, you know, I, I really am trying not to muddy the waters here uh, with with language. But we do live in a patriarchal society.
0: Okay, but stop. That's a word that's loaded in itself. Patriarchy, you know, it, it always hits. It's not...
1: I'm, I'm not going to say that in, in a... In, and I say that uh, from a psychological perspective, meaning that it is the masculine ideals that are dominant in the society, uh, in the psychology not gender. Right.
0: Okay, okay. so. No, I'm uh, just, I'm wondering, because that word again is another one that sets everybody off into, you know, stratospheric craziness on, on Twitter, et cetera. And I just, I, the way I understand patriarchy, and I will nod to Marion Woodman because I think she really explored all of these concepts better than anyone, is that it's a power dominant, it's a power structure, right? It is sure. when power becomes the dominant, the dominant ideal, as opposed to because masculine, the way I see it, yes, it is competition, but competition is actually good, because some competition is necessary, right? We we, write, you know, partially why I write is I really want to be the best that I can be. And that means I cannot help but judge myself against others. It's just when it becomes toxic in the sense of, you know, I will do anything to best the other that then we have a problem,
1: right? Right. And that's what I meant. But so like in that group that you discussed before with Bly, the group dynamic is calling for the feminine, mm-hmm. but the men in that group latch on to the masculine right? because that's what's comfortable. That's mm-hmm. what they know. And in, in competition within a group like that is not what I would call a masculinity that is serving the purpose I mean right. yeah. yeah so so whenever I was saying patriarchy I, I I say that uh not in a in a political way I, I'm saying it's you know in a cultural way in a in a way that describes what we value
0: okay so what do we value uh
1: well power for one like you yeah, were saying right. power yeah. power is big. you know I think hierarchy and um standing, status. Mm-hmm. to me, those things um need uh, the feminine to balance them out
0: right. absolutely for sure. Yeah. That's actually one of the quotes that I found um recently. I think it was von France, who said that power is okay, may, can be neutral. Um, if it's balanced by eros, but if it's not, then it becomes this insane thing that uh, cannot be contained and is not relational, which means it can damage others, right? Um, so, yeah, so no, I think it's really important to talk about this because I cannot believe how how wound up people become. And when I say patriarchy, the way I understand it, I'm not going against men. I'm old enough to remember Margaret Thatcher. And that was a woman who was participating in that structure in a big way. And there are plenty of women who participate in that kind of structure happily and do very well, actually. So the idea to reduce this to gender is just it's, it's simple minded. Um, and so that's why I think the definition of terms are really important. So let's start by defining terms. So to me, you said masculine is hierarchical. I agree. It does involve the notion of competition, or it can. Um, but in a way, you know, that, that uh, hopefully is towards making you better. Um, discernment, I think that's a really big word yes. for differentiation. And, and differentiation, right. Because I think the thing about the feminine, with all this connecting energy it has, it doesn't really know how to value. Um, separate, and that doesn't know how to differentiate so that it can reunite. And so you have this kind of muddying of things all the time with the the feminine. And this is, again, on its shadow side. There's, of course, the positive, which is the connecting side, the ability to be as opposed to act, which you do need both, right? You can't be acting all the time. Um, So both of these coming together is what you obviously want in one psyche and then you're in you're yourself, right? Um And so if you're finding that you are spending too much time acting, maybe the solution is to sit. And that is why I think the union of Western ideas with um Eastern notions of mindfulness has happened on such a large scale in the psychological realm. Because I think there's under an understanding that what we were missing was that other half, which is Go, 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 yes, but eventually you burn out. So what you need is the the ability to sit, right? And that's what it gives you. And I think that is the being part of the feminine story, which needs to be. But if you're only sitting, then nothing gets done as well. So the whole point is to try to bring these two together in you and in the society. And this is where people, I think, get set off. Von uh, Franz and Jung were very clear that what was in balance was the feminine. In, in other words, that the feminine was not being given its proper space, let's say, right? And the way they looked at it, which is my favorite way of looking at it, is what do our stories say? You know, Our stories are pretty clear, going right back to what we talked about before, uh, the the principal Western story. What happens in the Iliad? Well, two things, of course. First, Helen is abducted. That's the anima being taken away, spirited away, and that's going to create a problem. But the other thing is the gets uh, sacrificed right um, before anything happens. Before anybody can sail, you take a young girl and you basically sacrifice her so that the winds will blow in your direction. So encoded in our first story, you have this, and then throughout all of these. Um, and then I thought, you know what? Yeah, I think I talked to you about this before. It's not only in the West. There was, uh, uh, there, I mean, there are many stories and I certainly don't know all the stories, but I was thinking of the skeleton one, this uh, fairy tale that comes from the Inuit tradition and about the, the way, uh, actually, Clarissa Estes tells it very well. But the opening line of that, fairy, that story is frightening because it says, basically, nobody knew what she, da- I'm going to paraphrase, nobody knew what the daughter had done wrong, but basically the father takes her out one day and throws her Into the into the sea, where she becomes a skeleton, right? Where she's basically eaten away by the fish. That is a frightening thing. Nobody Mm -hmm. nobody could remember what she'd done wrong, but somehow this merited her father throwing her into the into the ocean. So it's encoded in our stories. And whenever you try to bring this up, the defensiveness, and I know you don't have this defensive, but in men, I have to tell you, is is pretty crazy. It's like, wow, what do you what about women? It's like, okay, it's not. No, <laughs> this is the stories. Let's look at them. And there can be an imbalance of masculine energy. That's also in the fairy tales, but just let's look at some of these stories. What do you think of that?
1: Oh, I think uh Western culture is filled with that. Um one of the uh, I, I think a movie, a film that that illustrates this imbalance is uh *Those godfather. There's so much that's done with the camera and so many things that are done in, in those films. That show an active. Effort to repress the feminine. Of course, the feminine and masculine are going to be represented. In fairy tales, dreams or art as men and women. You know, they're going to embody those. So I I think that may be another piece that confuses people because Mm -hmm. those archetypes, those those energies are symbolized by male and female. But in those movies, there's several scenes where they're actually, you know, the men have a discussion in the office. And before they can have that discussion, the women's are women are out in the parlor or whatever. The men shut the door Mm -hmm. because this is, you know. And the women are just in the background mm-hmm. they're not to be heard you know and, and that's that's very prevalent throughout um throughout the godfather as a matter of fact you could say so in the godfather there there are um gosh four sons one of them's uh, adopted i believe i'm sure you've heard the, the character fredo mm-hmm. Credo, it probably has been marked by uh, the feminine, actually, in that mil- movie. And uh, he's considered weak. He's considered dumb. But he has this need to connect, in a way. You know, he uh, he gets killed off by the family. Uh, (laughs) uh, So, you know, he was he was the the weak link. He carried something for those men, I think. But no, I agree that uh, most of what we see um, in Western culture, as far as art, myth, whatever, I I think it does kind of take that view.
0: Right about the feminine being either penalized or missing. At this current point in time, I really respected the fact that von France always made it clear that it may not always be this way. This is what we're identifying at this moment as being a problem. It, it doesn't necessarily have to be, and we don't know. I mean, there's often the talk, again, of matriarchy. We don't know if that ever really existed in the way that some have said so, because the historical record is pretty sketchy if go back that far. But what we're seeing today seems to be pretty clear that what is not valued, connection and relationship... It's just fascinating to me. And if we go with what uh, with what Jung said, if you don't bring this part of you into the conversation, right? It's a little bit like uh, the feminine not bringing the masculine into a conversation. You, the depression will happen on either side. Mm-hmm. You do need that balance, right? And I don't know about you personally, but I found when I get too much into this sitting and the non-doing, eventually all the energy leaves the room and I can't function. And uh, the opposite is true too. When I'm too much in that other world, I also need the moment to reflect and sit. So, and I'm just taking two of the values that are ascribed to these 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 qualities, uh, or to, I'm sorry, yeah, to, to feminine and masculine. I'm sure there are more. I, I'm thinking also of the the uh, fairy tales because one, one of the things that's great is that when Ron France did these huge analyses, I mean, the books are, there's about four or five books where she just analyzes uh, different uh, stories from all over, uh, all over the world. But what's interesting is she always said count the characters at the beginning to see what is missing, right? So I thought, okay, how do we count? If you were to count the characters sitting in, we're in North America, right? What is missing? I mean, think about it. What, what is the character? Who is the character who is missing at the table right now? I'm putting it in a way as a story because everything in my life is a story. So why not make a story out of this?
1: Who is the character not uh, what, sitting at the table. Yeah, who's not been? Inv-
0: inv- yeah, who's not been invited? Let's think of the apple, the famous apple that's thrown, and the three goddesses are fighting, and it's all created by Iris, who is ticked off that she's the goddess of discord and hasn't been invited. Who is not invited at this table right now? And you're okay. Let's look him from where you're sitting. Who's not invited at the table that you're you're
2: a part of?
1: Hmm. I'm not sure, to be honest with you. Um,
0: OK, OK, if you were this is a thing I used to do with my group and, and we had a lot. Well, we did it once and it was fantastic. It led to this great weekend of exploration. If you had to write a fairy tale, right, with you as the lead character. But yes. but but, you know, you're a prince in this fairy tale because fairy tales don't really deal with right. your baker right. or you're whatever. OK. What is the what is the task that you feel you if well, what would be the task that you would be doing in that fairy tale? So forget the feminine, let's look at personally. This is how we story the world, right? What what would be the task that that your fairy tale character would be entrusted with?
2: I don't know, um, recovering treasure, uh
0: saving someone. Well, what, what, what who would you be saving what does that look like
1: yeah, well more than likely it would it would be um you know a woman of some sort
0: okay what is that who's that woman what 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 is she doing what does she need saving
1: uh well she's being held captive by what um
0: <laughs> I know I'm doing it out of the spot they got they got a weekend <laughs> they got a weekend but I'm interested you know what, what, is she
1: held, what is she yeah, what is she
0: who's, who's holding a captive what, for
1: uh, what you know a um uh, a dragon
0: okay and why is the dragon holding her captive what why does he need her
1: uh because she represents some kind of power
0: okay what's the power
2: um She brings things together.
0: Ah, so what does she bring together that needs to be brought together? What's, or let's put it another way, what is not together at the moment?
1: Well, there's there's a division. Right. Um, there's a divide. There's a divide in the kingdom.
0: Okay. So give um, me give me the parties. Where who are the two that are divided? <laughs>
1: Oh, well.
0: um, It's a song. Think of it as a song. What's coming to mind? This is part of what happens with creativity. I sometimes just sit back and I go, okay, what's happening? And Then I see this thing unfold.
1: I I see. Okay. I don't know. The first thing that I I see, like, um,
2: um, warring
1: kingdoms.
0: Okay. So who are they? And why are they warring?
1: (laughs) Well, um, they're warring because uh, they don't have what they need or they don't have what they desire.
0: So what is it they desire?
1: well i i think i think this is tricky um i think they have uh, misguided desires um but i think what they're really after is something that they already have
2: right <clears throat> which is well for one power but um relationship.
1: Um
0: to what? To others or to themselves? I uh, guess all, all fairy tales are about oneself. So yeah,
1: I would say to themselves. Okay. This is this is difficult for
0: me. That's okay. I played a game and it's it's a it's a game of um uh, well, it's imagination, first of all, right? Because I think it's really fun to imagine. Um, and whatever comes to mind, if overthinking, it won't work.
1: Right, and, no. And
0: it's almost like something has to come into mind. And I always think, okay, well, we always start with the premise that that famous saying that Joseph Campbell said, which is the cave you fear to enter is where you find the treasure, right? So sure. get, get in there, okay? But the treasure looks really different for whoever you ask that question to. I'm always amazed at what comes out. And a game you can play is just, What's the first image that comes to mind? And sometimes the image is really interesting. If you let if you clear the mind, I'm not gonna make you do that right now, but it is something you. Uh, <laughs> you, can, you, can make it, you can make me do it. I'm fine with it. Uh, no, it's just the idea that that you want to this is role. Well, I, I guess it's a form it wouldn't be because we're doing this in a way that's that's not the way it's done, but it is when I'm, okay, when I, we've switched from masculine feminine to the creative side. For me, uh, when, I'm getting, when, I'm, when I'm trying to create something, like a creative piece, I sometimes have that. I start from that premise of just imagine, imagining what, what is in that cave that I need to go get, but that really scares the heck out of me, right? Um, and sometimes I don't need to go into the cave. I don't know about you. The cave comes to me as I walk down the street. Right. And, and that's really where the, the magic happens, right? Because you're thinking, okay, where did this come from all of a sudden, right? Um, and I mean, it happened to me so much in the last book that it's very present in my mind. But if it's not coming to me, then I go to it by saying, okay, if I had to go rescue something, what am I trying to rescue? Because, of course, you're trying to rescue clearly you're trying to rescue a part of yourself because there's nothing else in the cave that's all it is it's all you. and it's always interesting to at least for me to figure out what have I entrapped there that isn't so clear to me um uh in the conscious me the, the part that understands uh, you know uh, daylight consciousness as opposed to nighttime consciousness and so we've gone way away from from the <laughs> from the masculine feminine except to say that I think creating stories like this, is the ultimate feminine. I'm going to argue hmm. that. That's why I took it through that path. And I'll tell you why. Uh, I mean, I, I was raised by a bunch of storytellers. They didn't call themselves storytellers, but I, mean, I wasn't raised. I went back to do high school in Spain, and the storytellers were the old women in the village who would get together in days, those days in Spain, you know, TV wasn't great. Uh, so you know, you'd get together with the with the women and they would tell these great, fantastic mesmerizing stories until three o'clock in the morning when the lights would start flickering and everybody would have to give up. And that was that is one of the fundamental um, images for the feminine, right? The spider who builds the web through story, right? And I don't know, but I find that that is probably for me because of course I am a storyteller and it's in, a, in some some form. That is when I ask people to do that, it is interesting. The reactions that happened. its like all of a sudden, wait, what? And it's because what's happening is the feminine is being called, you know. And but the the, what really happens is the feminine is being called into the room, but the masculine is there trying to get it right, and that's what wrecks all stories. That in in, Mm -hmm. in a in a in a group, you know. I I remember when we did this fairy tale exercise. um, The people who, after we read them to each other, what, what the ones that I felt and we all felt had come. To the table from this place were people that told these stories that created and ended up crying. Somehow uh, uh, it revealed something because they didn't say, Hi, my name is Bea. I was born in Vigo. No, no, it was not that. It was like, Here's the princess from the kingdom. So you can detach enough to know what is a central theme that runs through this life. And the people who decided to go biographical never got to those spaces because biography is merely a retelling of what my conscious mind wishes to let you know about me so that in general, I look good and you feel right. like me and you won't, you know. But the moment you get into story, that's the unconscious speaking. And I guess this is why I put you for this crazy uh, exercise. And uh, it, it's the notion that if you let the feminine speak, the story is gonna be really, really different and you can't control it. And so what's going to come out is going to be a bit frightening. I I think usually what happens, the, the first thing that comes out, you think, whoa, <laughs> I I didn't know that was sitting there. Uh, but that is such a great entry point into understanding what really is lying in the unconscious.
1: Well, I, I don't feel like I handled that exercise very well. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, okay, first of all, and this is why I think it's great. I didn't tell you I was going to do that, which is good because it's natural. I'm not, you know, trying to say, okay, right. Jay, in the middle of this, I'm going to hit you with this. Right. It's something that, um, and again, you are talking to someone and your creative process is different from mine. This is how I approach the creative process sure. and how, why I really love it. But but the, the, what I'm trying to make a point of is you don't have to write novels to to be creative, right? right? You don't have to write songs to be creative. In every person, and I saw it in my group when we went through this this um, pro, this exercise, was a great story. It's just that what had to be told is don't tell it like, you know, in first person, narrative, biographical way, tell it as if you are living in a magic kingdom and there are some things you need to work out. And so the stories were fabulous because of that. And then there was always that interesting thing where some women came to listen, but they refused to give us a story. And that is as loud as the story that people told, if that makes sense. You know, because it's always like, that's too much, I do not want to participate in this.
1: Well, that, that, you know, what you just put me through was an unexpected exercise in spontaneity, um, which, you know, when it comes to creativity and music is absolutely necessary because I, I'm in a different, I'm sitting kind of in a different place. Yeah. Um. So I, I think, <clears throat> I think maybe um, I really wasn't sure, you know, I, I really was, I felt unbalanced. <laughs> <laughs> I felt right. off kilter.
0: Good. I love it. I mean, that's yeah. the whole point of this. If you're not off kilter, then we're just having a boring conversation right. about politics. And and right. this is you remember last week how we talked about how um, or did I talk about it or did I post I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. I think we did talk about this, about how um, I don't want to have conversations around politics. I will follow it when I need to. I don't want to talk about what the neighbor's doing. I don't really want to talk about a lot of what people, what people are, what their kids are doing and, you know, what job is paying good money. That just to me seems like a, for me, a diminution of the human story. But what's weird, and this is what we do in my group, I wanted to um, just a little exercise just to show you. What makes this exciting for me is I want to listen to what people's unconscious is saying. Because I have this weird idea, and this may be completely misguided, but if years of reading Jung and Ron France and all of these people, that somehow the unconscious that speaks to me is my own unconscious anyway. So when you're telling me parts of the unconscious, you're actually connecting me to my own unconscious. And that's the whole idea that we're part of this collective thing that we all tap into. And, you know, there's the old saying, well, the artist is tapping and bringing back something that can be of use to the collective. And this is why art really matters and why it should be revered more, let's say. Not revered, at least taken seriously along with the maths and the sciences because it is healing right and it's not happening so this is the kind of process that i think gets people out of the conversation like the normal conversation
1: but don't you feel like the creative process encompasses both the masculine and the feminine
0: oh for sure i mean if you don't if you don't okay for me the masculine means i sit down and actually put things to paper oh and another thing it structures. Yeah. Like if you're just going off in a in a feminine, you know, I'm going to go down. You need, I mean, for any story to work. Well, there's was one thing that's really fundamental about a story. First, you've got to be you've got to have mystery. And that if you tell everybody. What's going to happen from the beginning and announce? It. That's a very poor story, right? You have to be giving pieces. And I was just reading today. Um, what's the name of the book? I'm always a little five on the go, so I can't remember any of the names. But it was it was a, a book analyzing story and story structure. And he was looking at some uh, research in neuroscience, talking about how they can put, they can they can see if you give pieces of information to people, just bits, right? Not the whole thing. And then they keep pushing the lever. But if you suddenly give them the whole picture they don't want to know anymore. So it is a bit like the uh the Arabian tales that you every night you stop it just before you find out what the next step is. Uh so yeah that structures. Without that structure, then and that's what I think the masculine brings to the table. It's able to say, okay, these are the steps and it comes together at the end. You don't feel like you finish the story and you think, wait, all these pieces were left hanging. That would be a very uh non-masculine way.
1: This is something that I've been thinking about lately because <clears throat> you know I think often form in the world like like such as the body, the planets, the earth that's generally conceptualized as feminine, right? Right, yeah. But when it comes to like songwriting, form to me is masculine. No, yeah, I agree. Because it's the structure, it's the um, you know, the feminine is what is that internal thing that I don't have really words to express other than the music. I mean, a means to express other than the music. The music is the only way that it can express. Now, the words are kind of come in the same way that, that poetry does. And so there's spontaneity with the words. There has to be. But... The masculine comes into play with the words as well, because things have to fit in ways. Yeah. You yeah. know. And so the, the structure of a song is very masculine. And I consider that the form. So do you do you ever think of uh th- does that ever cause No, it no, seems that good...
0: makes yeah, no, that makes total sense to me. I can't even imagine it any other way. For example, I knew nothing about songwriter, but songwriting, but there is a structure. There's a chorus of there's repetitions right. that are used. Uh, now it's interesting because in poetry, uh, the reason uh, some people actually people who are just reading a scientist saying that he likes reading poems because he doesn't understand what they're saying and that puts his mind in a place where he can let go. I think that's so interesting, and I think music does that too. By the way, it allows you to let go by touching some part of you that you're not quite you're not being able to put into words necessarily, right? But if you do not have the structure, the thing makes no sense. And I do think that is the masculine. You know why? Because you need to be able to discern just enough to know what doesn't belong there. And that's part of the masculine. You need to be able to differentiate between elements so that they're not all, you know, basically uh, stepping over each other. So no, you can't do one without the other. I think, though, that, and this is the whole idea, I think Newman says that you start by going in, the whole thing starts from the unconscious. It starts from this Feminine place of uh, where you have to dip in, right? But when you go fishing into the unconscious, what comes out has got to be organized, or else you know you end up you end up um, with someone who is incoherent. And you certainly there's ways to be. I mean, you see that represented in different different people. So no, I mean, art definitely needs both, and that's what makes it so interesting. Or creativity needs both. Uh, without one, without the other, just just wouldn't work. Um, yeah, no.
1: You've you've posted uh many quotes and I can't remember who it was I don't remember if uh, whose quotes these are but and I'm sure there's more than one uh referring to
0: the feminine
1: and and I think I think this this sometimes gets gets people in hot water too referring to the feminine as chaos
0: yes oh my god <laughs> <laughs> yes chaos uh, uh. How do I
1: no no
0: order? Don't forget the order, because the order, of course, is masculine. And of course, right. everybody wants order until of course they're lining you up and right. turning you into a military, you know, structure where you can't move. I, I know, yes, these are the two words that will yes.
1: But so so what is what is meant when when uh because a lot of people, most people I think, associate chaos as a very negative thing of negative force anarchy um you know no uh, but surely there's something else behind that word
0: what well i mean you... the way i i mean don't you think that is another word for the unconscious where everything yes. is melded together and nothing differentiated yes exactly. undifferentiated. Right. that's where we come from that's what we return to exactly. that's where you go fishing for stuff but the word chaos because it's taken by people and applied now to situations in life where things are chaotic. And you know what it really speaks to? People are really afraid of change. That's really what, what it really means, you know? And so because you're afraid of change, chaos is a frightening word, right? It's. Um, uh, uh, I think that's where it comes from. And so, of course, the idea of order means, uh, this is all based on fear. Order is not fearful, it doesn't make you feel fearful. I mean, you should, because I think if it's extreme like anything else, it can, it can be as imbalanced as anything. But I think the notion of chaos is associated with revolution and what happens then. And, but in fact, uh, you know, and it's more productive or how, how should we say? in its essence, it is where everything comes from. Everything is one big mixed-up muddle maybe of whatever, right. Matt, but then that's where everything comes from. Where else would it come from? Yeah. But unfortunately, now think about this, though. It's so good you mentioned it. If chaos is, that's why that book that said the antidote to chaos was so annoying to me, because if feminine, the feminine is associated with chaos, what you're essentially saying is there needs to be an antidote to the feminine. And actually, what you really should subtitle that book is we need a balance of masculine and feminine not mm-hmm. an antidote. And in fact, if you go by Jung and von Franz, actually, you need an antidote to order, which is stifling the, the chaos mm-hmm. and not allowing it to, to produce what it could be. Or we're not going into those depths enough, which, by the way, is what depth psychology was answering. So, yeah, so I have a problem with the way that word has been interpreted because I don't think that was the intention. I, I mean, right. Not the way that I understand it, anyway.
1: And, and then another thing that you could... Um other descriptors the feminine is receptive
0: yes that's a very good one and receptivity is good no um
1: um so in turn the masculine would be what
0: uh receptive active you need the active principle right I mean I mean the the, I mean again that can also be turned and I think it has by some into a horrible thing it's too active it goes out there it's invasive It's, uh, it's um, warlike, warmongering. I mean, that is the expression. Yes, it can be. But the feminine can also be so absorb absorbing that it turns you into something that cannot move. So each each of these have shadow qualities. But yeah, you need the active principle. Sometimes you need to walk, right? Not to sit.
1: Uh, Well, then again, you know, uh, you say a shadow quality, and the shadow is, is, is what is repressed. So if you've got a culture that, represses the feminine then you're going to have you know imperialism you're going to have you're going to have uh, you know very domineering uh, power hungry um systems there is a, a shadow to both masculinity and feminine, femininity um, another way of looking at that is masculinity and femininity are only as dangerous as they exclude the other um you know the less the less one is integrated so when you have a, a system guided by um that highly values power that that um um you know domination then you know you you look at uh you know you see imperial imperialism colonialism um those things are, i would say would be products those are those are very hyperactive right uh motivations right and so what is lacking in that you know um so this this need to take over to conquer uh that is a hyperactive i think drive that and lacks works,
0: yeah yeah lacks balance because right if you bring in eros then the feminine in its purest form, isn't going to be comfortable with exploiting or hurting other people, you hope, right? That doesn't mean it's not like, I think this is where we get into tricky territory, because oh, the feminine is so much better. No, it values connection enough that you would think, well, first of all, if you take it right to the bare essence, it would value value the earth to some degree, right? And the earth itself is an expression of the feminine, okay? At least in the traditional, are we agreeing on that part or not? Okay, yes. So would you be willing to exploit? If you had a very good relationship with that feminine, would you be willing to exploit nature the way we do? Well, probably not. And I, this is, uh, you hope not, right? Because it would feel like a violation of yourself, so you wouldn't do it. Uh, and the idea of connection would exclude exploiting others for gain because usually the way that has manifested historically has been horrendous. I mean, basically you kill people off or you enslave them or you... You know, you, it's horrible. It's a horrible human story. But but then I go back to love and strife, right? Those two operative principles mm-hmm. in the universe. So the, the strife is there. see strife seems to me to be an extreme form of differentiation <laughs> because, and now this is true. Let's play with this. Sometimes in myself, and I don't know if you've had this experience there, I mean, I think you did because you even talked about it in the little exercise we did. There were two warring parts of you. Right. And you, and you, and you feel them, you, you're, they're in you and you're trying to fight one and you're, uh, but that actually is a great thing. I mean, it doesn't feel great when you're going through it. You just wish it would stop, but actually that's the only way I've ever been able to solve things by allowing the war to play out, trying not to take sides hard because I usually do. The inner
1: like, war
0: you're speaking. Yeah. Of. Oh, yeah. The inner. There's no outer war. My life's too dull for that. But <laughs> the inner war is going on, and actually, I find the inner life a lot, a lot more interesting. So it's okay. So the inner war is going on, and I can feel it. But I also know it's the precursor to something changing. And so that if I'm willing to, and this is the whole notion of tension of the opposites, the idea that you know, in in a world, and this is what change scares people. Things are always changing internally in, in a way. You're responding to environment. Uh, you're responding to a whole bunch of things. But, where I think people start siding with one side or the other, that's where things become imbalanced and 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 uh, dangerous, really, sometimes, to that effect. So, um, so strife actually has a value. I, I, as long as, it's a little bit like you're you've got the two warring kingdoms, as long as you don't take sides, if that makes any sense. You don't let one get out of hand so much that it overpowers the other. So
1: so I imagine Sisyphus to be a representation of strife gone too far.
0: Mm, how so? Tell
1: me. Well, I, of course, I'm I'm just picturing the image more okay. than yeah. than the complete myth. Okay. You know this endless effort of pushing a boulder up a hill.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and I do think that a lot of times that's where midlife crises come in.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I think that's that that precipitates. Uh, the awareness
0: crisis. the awareness that you're pushing something up a hill repetitively or what are you speaking about the awareness? well I,
1: the the awareness that it's not sustainable the awareness that it's making you a wreck your life a wreck yeah
2: mm-hmm. yeah
1: you know but that is a very to me i think of that is a polarizing or or, or a very polarized masculine image to me
0: the idea of effort for for not but okay but can we bring the feminine into that story how do we bring the feminine to that story because you can what okay how do you do
1: it okay so in my mind i see a, a female angel coming and sitting on the on the boulder
0: and how does that help
1: well, there's a conversation.
0: What does that sound like? What are talking about? <laughs> I,
1: please don't make me do voices.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, that I have two voices. But what what, what would be, that's, a, I mean, of all things you could have come up with, Jay, that's not where I thought you were going. This, so kind of interesting.
1: This, this the, 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 the angel might say, this isn't necessary. You're already there.
0: Okay. All right. So that is a version of what I was thinking too, which is the idea that if you're pushing up the 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 boulder up the hill in a feminine way, consciously, I am doing this with no end goal. I'm just in the moment. Then the feminine, the masculine can unite, in the sense that you've accepted. It's a little bit like Nietzsche's idea of amor fati. You've accepted your fate, which is to roll up this this thing over and over again until the end of time. I was taught that in meditation that you had to look at every breath. Is that 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 thing you're you're pushing up the hill, right? Sure which is you have to accept you are going to be doing that till the end of time, which you resist. <laughs> it's like, are you kidding? No. But.
1: the I guess the difference I see with that image and what you're saying makes complete sense is that it's not your boulder. Why? So that that's different.
0: Okay, but why isn't it not? You know, to me, everything is you. I mean, there's nobody but Jay in the, in the story no, you've created.
1: No, but... but... <sighs> yes but no because sometimes we take on other people's stories
0: so no, we take them all the time that's not sometimes but well
1: but but sometimes the boulder we're pushing we're not meant to be pushing it's not oh, okay. ours to push okay that's so you sa- I mean. Okay, all right. and so when you come to me so what i'm saying is you realize so in my story when the angel lands on the boulder and says this isn't necessary that's essentially what she's saying this isn't yours to push and i think that's what happens in midlife to a lot of men um Mm -hmm. that that end up in this conscious position with the feminine
0: right
1: um before they you know buy a convertible and have an affair uh you you know i I think if that makes sense
0: it does make sense. I don't think it's limited to men. I think the midlife uh, sure. struggle is different with women, perhaps or maybe there's different issues, but and sometimes it's the same issues. I mean, there are plenty of people midlife, for example, that hit a point where they look at their career and they say, "I didn't choose this, and I'm I'm, I'm opting out if they can." And that's a very Interesting thing to say, because I'm sure the pushback would be, yeah, well, if you're supporting a family, which is exactly what Hollis mentions in his book, Under Saturn's Shadow, that is what it's called, about men, that they don't have that choice because they are posited or they're placed in a position where they are the person taking care of the family. And they're, therefore, that's what happened to his father. He couldn't walk. He couldn't be who he, meant, who he was meant to be. That That was a luxury that was not afforded to him. And so you are put in a situation where yes, you would so the, the feminine would say, here's how I'm gonna have I'm gonna counteract it. If I cannot leave this situation at the moment and I have to keep pushing this boulder, which is not mine, but I but now I have a set of circumstances which have to be addressed. The feminine would say, I will now take this on as my whole life, as why I'm here. I know this is extreme, by the way. I mean, this is not. Most people don't want to do it that way. But think about it. Think about that this is what the Eastern mentality is or tries to bring in, in the face of, I mean, because it's the suffering and the pain, right? You have the pain. Let's add suffering by making it bigger, right?
1: Well, it's it's kind of a acceptance and surrender. Um, right. and, and it no longer. <clears throat> so the more you resist, the greater the burden.
0: Yes. And by the way, you just mentioned a great, a great, Feminine word that is often disparaged, which is surrender. surrender. Exactly. Uh surrendering is actually only disparaged because in a patriarchal or a world where masculine values are overvalued, then surrender means you've lost. But surrender in another concept or another way of looking at it, whether it's a religious surrender or whatever, is actually an act of acceptance of mm-hmm. the highest order. And it mm-hmm. is the hardest thing to do. I don't care what anybody says. Mm-hmm. And so it's actually a word that doesn't that only seems to have one value or one way of being interpreted where it's it should be looked at in that whole because way.
1: we're not talking about surrender to another human being. No. That's not what we're talking about here. We're not no. talking about submission.
0: No, no. no. But submission, okay. So we are talking about submission. But we're talking about submission. Submission to something to, within yourself. That's it. To a higher, to a part To Okay. In Jung's words, again, a word that confuses the heck out of everybody's self, right? The yes. higher, the larger reality. What is calling to you, which may not be so apparent to others, even to yourself, but it's calling you to to understand something about yourself that may not be congruent with everything you've built up to that time. Or, uh, but it, And it will sometimes and many times it includes a lot of pain because you have to step outside. Of um what society is going to allow you to or or make you feel comfortable or condone, right? So it's a it's a tough moment. And I don't think that only happens at midlife. I think we said this before: midlife happens at all moments in life. It can happen anytime when you're you face up to the reality. Like one of the big ones is the illusions that die, you know. Um at some point yes. you've held on to this crazy idea that somebody you know that you've bought into. And that illusion dies, that's really a painful moment for people. you know. Sometimes it's a relationship that you thought had you had invested so much into it. And then you realize either you realize that your notion of relationship is very mixed up and, and unrealistic or the person that you've decided to partner with and you are not going to get to a point where you can continue growing. Well, that's a moment that's really scary because then, you know, you're suddenly out in the open. You have to make a decision. And there will be a pull to stay and there'll be a pull to this is where the war begins, right? That's just the classic example that's given. It could be a career. It could be family, you know, that you've always been the good person in the family and you one day say, no, I refuse to do that. So at any time when you're being pushed in a direction that is counter to what your conscious attitude is, then you do have to surrender. You know, at some point, some part of you is going to have to surrender.
1: You know, last week we mentioned uh, the concept of hitting bottom. And that means something that is something I think that every human being can identify with, regardless of, of, you know, you don't have to be stuck in addiction to understand that. But but what is it you are now the reason why I said it was good now in certain circumstances, it's it's deadly. Hmm. But but why it is good in 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 so many ways it's because you are now in a position to surrender uh because like you said those illusions are not there i think of is it inanna
0: oh well there's well the greek is you're thinking of anana which is a Samaritan yes that's what i said Okay. okay yeah yeah so
1: as she's descending which is a feminine thing right
0: sure yeah. you're
1: going into the underworld the womb yeah the place where things are born and with each step she loses something mm-hmm. something dies something something is removed from her until she gets to the bottom and that's that's what i think of when when you look at a journey and you look at uh, how <clears throat> the feminine plays out in a journey That descent, that things of the ego being stripped away. And then, of course, the masculine to that would be what?
0: The descent. I mean, well, it would be an ascent in some way, right? Coming back up and and having a new new understanding. Because I think there is something about the masculine that, that puts things in or organizes the experience that is very intense, but is not understood. Uh, this is where the word logos is also associated with a masculine in the sense that it organizes with words what experience and, and the problem is now we overvalue words and we forgot that there was an experience right where you connected this is the body where you connected to the body and understood what that felt like and so we try to describe it and i don't care what anybody's ever said even music which probably comes closest to def- um defining or to or uh, recreating that experience is still not the experience so you're always one level away from it but words really really detach you as we see from this battle of masculine feminine that rages because then you can you can get into this whole tower of babel situation where you're all fighting about what one thing means as opposed to well how, how does it feel how does it express How see this is where i think story is really powerful because i think a story can tell you so much more than the word can Right. So if you go to, you know, a basic fairy tale and you see that the same thing keeps showing up, why are the women, the female characters, the feminine in fairy tales who are unnamed? So they must be, you know, an archetypal principle. Why are they always asked to sort things? They spent their time crying and trying to sort. And then they have this this uh, sort of inferior version of the masculine who comes to help them and that's a part of themselves that's not fully realized and that's how they get away you know from being killed at night why do why do the feminine uh, characters always opening doors they shouldn't be opening well there's a reason for that right because it, it is associated with the idea of the search this this in, unending curiosity that exists and that's why you go into the unconscious um and and so there's so many different things that show up but then the masculine as well you know what what are they also what are they always trying to do they're trying to find Uh, They're always trying to rescue the feminine because that's Mm -hmm. the part of themselves that is is in exile from them, right? And so, yeah, so this is where I think I wish there were more storytelling that people, instead of answering a question, I would love to see this on the news. It's never going to happen. But my fantasy is that people get asked questions and what's always answered is either a poem or a story. You see how everything would change in a minute because people wouldn't know what to do with, what to do with it. And I think it's useful sometimes. Of course, I'm being facetious that you do need to answer questions sometimes, but you don't get those kinds of answers where you're, getting, you're taken outside of the, the normal realm of of word and definitions, and that's where people battle. They're battling over words, which is you know the, the very definition of insanity. But you don't battle over a story, and the reason you don't is well, you know you do battle over stories because people create stories that define them. But when you look at these old stories, you know it's not a battle; it's a trying. You're trying to understand uh, the the narrative, right? So maybe if you taught people, we go back to what I always go back to, which is my obsession. If you taught people to read the word world metaphorically. Then when you ask them to go into the cave, right, they're not trying to rescue something for the world. They're trying to rescue something for themselves that is in exile, which is why you really want to be looking at what might be there, right? But in doing that, I think you actually do end up rescuing for others because we all have spaces or you've at that moment said it is worth making that journey imaginatively to go into that space because there might be something you could find there as well. But those stories really aren't told. I actually do think they're told. They're told in the ways, you know, you mentioned Star Wars. I think those mythological, those big mythic stories are still telling them. Uh, and that's why people are attracted to them. But in the general, I don't think that it's, it's uh, you know, it's something that people really want to consider. I do think it's easier to argue about what something means or, you know, what party has this. And, and I find it depressing. I'm not for long. I mean, I'm not a depressed person, but you know what I mean? I find it like, yeah, yeah there could be a better conversation that could be happening. I hope we're having a better conversation, but we could be deluded as well, right? So <laughs> we could be thinking we're having a better conversation. I think we're having the kind of conversation that at least is taking us away from the, yeah, the the everyday, like, let's define this and that and the other. Thanks for listening. The music you've been listening to is from Jay Rettlesberger's album, Harvesting James. You can find his music at the links provided in the show notes. There, you'll also find links to anything else we've mentioned during our conversation. Thanks also to our producer, Andrew Graham. If you like the podcast, please subscribe and leave a rating so others will find us as well. For now, until next time.